compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Eight, 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 nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine. Come on, stand up and fight. Knockout. <laughs> you did it. How did you do that so fast, Cyrus? I didn't do anything. That's all Neil Robbins. Oh, my gosh. The guy's a wizard. Yeah, it's incredible. He's like the top gun of wizards. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> Thank you. Let me hear that again. So this is our phone number. I just randomly said in the first hour, it'd be great if we could get the phone number in that, you know, monotone video game voice. And here it is. Yeah. So we were, I, I played the, uh, what is it? The uh, body. Ibo, Ibo. That. So it's, it's yeah, from an old. What game was that from back Mike in the Tyson's, day? Mike Tyson's Knockout. Okay, and that's that was like 1980 or something, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I was a kid. And then Neil Robbins put this together. This is the main event. Eight, 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 nine, one, four. Nine, one, four, nine. Come on, stand up and fight. Knockout. <laughs> <laughs> it's genius. What can I say? Thank you, Neil. That's genius. So we have yeah. to, every so often, we'll just play that version of the phone number. Uh, it is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. I wonder if you can get that in the same monotone voice. That would be interesting. 888-914-9149. Email, just send it to me, patrick at relevantradio.com. So I was reading an email from an anonymous listener, wonderful person who is Christian scientist, a Christian scientist, and just for the benefit of those tuning in now who didn't hear the little preamble I gave before, a few days ago I took a question, took a call, I think it was, um, about what to do in the case of you being a physician or a nurse in a medical emergency, let's say in the operating room, and as in a Jehovah's Witness patient who does not, by, by their religious conviction, does not believe in accepting blood transfusions because of the Jehovah's Witness belief that as it proscribes eating or drinking blood in the Old Testament, therefore they reason, and I would argue they reason incorrectly, that if you receive a blood transfusion that you were disobeying God by doing that. So the question was, what about somebody who is a Jehovah's Witness, is in an emergency situation medically, and needs a blood transfusion? Do you disobey the patient's wishes or do you give a blood transfusion to save the patient's life? And we had a discussion on that and I shared my view of that issue. So that's the backdrop for this email from this listener uh, who says, uh, I'm a Christian scientist. I want you to know that although we believe in healing as Christ Jesus did and as the best method for healing, church members are allowed to go to doctors if that seems best for them. A few examples for reasons a doctor would be con contacted are to allay the fears of family members, if relatives are insistent that one take the medical route, or if healing is not taking place in an appropriate amount of time. A note of interest, my brother and sister-in-law used for the birth of their children a doctor who is Catholic, but his wife is a Christian scientist, so they got the best of both worlds. And then she has a, a slightly different topic here. She says, with regard to your comments to callers about in vitro fertilization, IVF, you stated that it is only common sense for a Christian scientist to get a blood transfusion to save the life of a child. Um, I, I was speaking specifically here about the Jehovah's Witness, but I understand what you mean. However, 
Isn't it only common sense for Catholics to vote for the lesser of two evils? He's referring to the question that we discussed about a presidential election, like the one that we're heading up to right now. Isn't it only common sense for Catholics to vote for the lesser of two evils, especially when one candidate strongly advocates abortion on demand? By not voting for either, you are allowing the possibility of the more vile candidate to prevail. And then I'll I'll come back to that. And then she concludes by saying, I love your program, Father Simon's program and Drew's program, which are the ones I'm able to hear more frequently. And I greatly appreciate the Catholic Church as a voice for good in the world. God bless. Well, that's super kind of you. I wish I could say your name. I, I know your name, but you asked me to keep you anonymous, so I will. But uh, thank you, first of all, for taking time, and thank you for the thoughtful thoughts that you shared here. So in, in order, um, I would say that, number one, I'm, I'm glad to know that Christian scientists do have an opening or there's an avenue to pursue medical care if they deem it necessary. And when I received your email yesterday, I was thinking, after reading your email, about um, Val Kilmer, the famous actor, And he's a Christian scientist. When his autobiography came out a few years ago, I bought it and read it. And I was very interested in how he spoke a lot about his belief in Christian science. And um, my impression, not only from his book, but also my impression from some of the news stories associated with Val Kilmer, is that he decided not to go the medical, at least at first, with what appeared to be his, um, his throat cancer. And he chose to not pursue a medical therapy, and and he alludes to this in his book. He talks about why he wanted to make use of the principles of Christian science in the writings of Mary Baker Eddy, and, and it was helpful to me to understand from his vantage point what he believed, believes as a Christian scientist. So your comment in your email is further helpful because I, I never really knew to what extent Christian science Christian scientists would be willing to forego the prayer route, if not forego it, that's probably not the right word, not that they would stop praying, but that they would actually seek medical intervention. I never really knew if there was a line and where that line was drawn. So you helped me with that. Thank you. Um, also, the issue about the the... Uh, the election and the IVF question. For those who didn't hear that, it had to do with the question that came in on this program about um, President Trump publicly proclaiming that he's in favor of in vitro fertilization. And that kind of kicked off within the last 10 days or so, a cavalcade of not just politicians, as I understand it, uh, Governor Greg Abbott, Catholic, governor of Texas, uh, he followed suit, and there were other high-level people, including Catholics in the world of politics, who were saying, yes, yes, more IVF, more IVF. And I was pointing out that this is something that the Church says is seriously sinful. It is a grave moral evil to engage in in vitro fertilization. If you missed any of that, you can go back and listen to it. Just go to relevantradio.com slash Patrick. You can type in the search bar, IVF, you'll find it. And you can listen to it. Now, the political dimension is what probably sparked the most hmm, commentary from people. And just judging from the few emails that I received, and I did receive a few, you know, two or three, maybe four, of people saying, you know, I don't agree with your advice. You fell short of the mark. I normally like your advice, but I didn't like this advice because we have to 
support Pre- President Trump and otherwise you're going to get President Biden and all that. And personally, I try to stay away from politics. I'm straying into it now for a reason, and that is because it's pertinent to this question of IVF. Ordinarily, I would stay far away from it because it makes people uptight. People get angry, they get defensive, they get a variety of emotions when politics comes up. And my job is not to talk about politics. My job is to talk about the issues that really matter in in the realm of things like God and the church's teaching, moral issues, things of that nature. So I'm not a political commentator. I, I will not become a political commentator. And I try to stay away from that world as much as possible for the reasons I just mentioned. But that notwithstanding, this is something that I very much believe, and I, I want to make sure that you understand, all of you, where I'm coming from. I want to see a good president, as anyone does. I want to see a president who's going to do what's right for the country. The point that I brought up earlier with regard to in vitro fertilization is now, in the case of a candidate who is publicly running as part of his program, part of his platform, I want to push this. We've had it up to here, at least I have, and I think most of you have too. I've had it up to here with candidates, especially Catholic candidates, who promote abortion. We have a president right now who fits that description. We've had uh, many other members of high office in this country who know better, and yet they promote abortion. And I will not vote for a candidate who does that. I won't. Call me a one-issue voter. I don't care. But when it comes to other moral issues, don't you think that we should be consistent? Don't you think, and I'm not, I'm not addressing the lady who wrote me that email, right? I'm just speaking in a general sense right now. Don't you think that if you're going to call yourself pro-life, that you have to be consistent and not pick and choose and not say, well, I would never vote for her because she is a pro-abortion candidate, but I will vote for the other candidate, uh, even though that other candidate proposes something else that's deeply immoral. Yes, I do understand the concept of choosing the lesser of two evils. Sometimes it's necessary. A couple of people wrote me emails and said, here's a great article. Uh, Mark, I got all three of your emails, by the way. Um, Mark knows who he is. He listens to the program. And he sent me three very thoughtful emails on this topic. And I appreciate that. And I know the sources that you're talking about on this issue. It is true. Sometimes you have to choose the lesser of two evils. But what a shame it is. And, and what a danger it can be if somebody says, yeah, I'm pro-life and I would never vote for a pro-abortion candidate, but turns a blind eye, turns a blind eye, excuse me, to a candidate who is promoting as part of his political platform something else that is morally problematic. So I wanted to say that so you understand what I'm proposing here. I'm proposing consistency Jesus said to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we do have to have a kind of holy shrewdness about us. We do have to be uh, attentive to nuances and things like that. I don't disagree with any of those things. And I, I do understand that sometimes you're faced with a very unpalatable choice in terms of candidates. All I'm proposing is as you evaluate candidates, I can't tell you who to vote for. I'm not supposed to tell you who to vote for. It's not my job. But I can vigorously propose to you 
that as you're evaluating candidates, that you do your very best to be consistent, especially if life issues are important to you and you don't want to vote for a candidate who is promoting something that is anti-life, then consistency is that you apply that reasoning across the board. That's what I'm proposing. And I hope that clarifies it a bit more. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Mike now in West Virginia. Hello, Mike. Hi, good morning, uh, Patrick. Um, my question has to do with the topic that you're talking about right right now, the inverter. Okay. People, they, uh, or well, I can't say it, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, IVF? Um, my, yeah, IVF, yes. Uh, my question is... Um, sorry about that. My question is... Um, you know, life can only happen if God allows it. You know, a, a, n- none of this science would, would be possible if God didn't allow that soul to enter that life. Right. So why why is the church's stance what it is? And I understand what it is, and I'm not disagreeing with it. But mm-hmm. why is that the church's stance when God does allow a soul to enter that life? That's a great question, Mike. It's pertinent. And the fundamental reason is that it's the same thing, although the circumstances are different, but it's for the same reason that God permits children to be conceived in rape. Or God can... Good heavens, what's going on over there, Mike? Sorry. (laughs) Sounded like you just swept everything off your desk. Um, As long as you can hear me, okay. So it's for the same fundamental reason that we acknowledge that God brings human life out of terrible situations like rape, for example, or incest, for example, or adultery, for example. Terrible situations in which God nonetheless, for his own inscrutable reasons, will bless us with life, even though the manner in which that life was conceived is terribly sinful. So that's, you might say, the common ground among those kinds of things. So we wouldn't want to reason in the direction of saying, well, I guess IVF is okay, because look, God willed that a child take place. So if God willed that a child be conceived, therefore IVF must be okay or kind of quasi-okay. Would we say that with rape? No. You know, oh, gee, look, God brought a child into existence because this poor woman was raped. Does that mean that rape is okay? No nor with adultery, nor with incest, or any of the other options, you know, that might apply. Uh, The act itself can still be grievously wrong, and yet God often, or sometimes at least, will bring some particular good out of it by blessing the world with a new child. That's the way I think we should look at this, because if we don't, then we could gradually begin to misunderstand not that you do, Mike, but some people could misunderstand why certain things are wrong in themselves. Because they may say, oh, look, there was a good outcome. So that must mean that the act was okay. That's not the right way to evaluate it. Does that make sense? So, so in other words, um, God will always allow the innocent life to flourish, but the people who are responsible for it will have to pay the price. Yeah, well, yes, in the sense that the innocent human being the innocent unborn child, he he is a gift. She is a gift from God. The parents, the people who did this, resulting in the conception of the child, yes, if they did something sinful, they have to answer to God for that. That's true. And the child is entirely innocent. So no stigma attaches to the child of in vitro fertilization. No stigma attaches to the child of rape. No stigma, etc., etc., attaches to children who are the conceptions of these types of situations. There's nothing wrong with them. 
We love them and we welcome them and we value yeah. them like any other child. But the act itself that brought them into existence, we can certainly say that was wrong. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Okay. It seems All pretty right. clear to me. I, I realize this is a topic now. I mean, who would have thought that IVF would be a political football, political hot potato, even a month ago, six months ago, it wasn't even on anyone's radar screen. And now it is. And now we've got big people in important positions in politics and elsewhere who are, who are promoting IVF and what boggles my mind is that some of them are Catholics who know better, and they're still, maybe for political reasons, promoting something that the Church says, this is wrong. And I'll, I'll leave you, Mike. I mean, thank you for your call. I don't want you to feel as though I'm belaboring the point with you. Thank you for the call. But I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. Don't forget that IVF routinely involves the destruction of innocent human life. So if you're against abortion and you don't like the fact that innocent human beings are being snuffed out, then you should hate IVF for the same reason, because that's the net result in IVF as well, almost all the time. I'll be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Tammy, who's listening in Florida, for donating her 2016 BMW Z4. Cool. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Yes. Oh, that goes in the win column. Thank you, yeah. Matt Beardsley, for that idea. <laughs> you know, and I should have seen that one coming because it was building and building. And it just got me. You got me, Cyrus. What can I say? Well done. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll be on high alert from now on. Hey, I want to share something with you. Uh, and I want to begin by saying I do not benefit in any way whatsoever from what I'm about to share with you. So please don't think that this is a, uh, uh, a sales appeal or anything like that. Um, I have a friend. I've known him for years. Uh, his name is Dan Gonzalez. And he is a brilliant, and I mean brilliant in the true sense of the word. He's a brilliant um, graphic artist is probably the best way to put it. He has come out with, it's not quite out yet, but it's on its way. It's imminently going to be released. It's called The Mass Explained. And it is a 550-page full-color, I call it an encyclopedia of the mass. Um, you need to see this thing. It, it's not... It's not done being printed yet, but you can pre-order it. And again, once again, uh, there's no benefit to me at all. I'm not in any way involved with this. I just want to make that really clear. I just am enthusiastic about this. And you know me, I love to recommend books, and I recommend books on the Mass all the time. This book blows the doors off of anything I've seen before. You'll be able to see it, and there's a link so you can see more of it. There's a whole lot of information about it, the Mass Explained. Uh, if you're if you're on Twitter, just go to my Twitter feed, which is at Patrick Madrid, and uh, you can see, um, you'll see like a, well, there's a link. You'll see some graphics and such. But it's one of the most astonishing projects I've ever seen. Some people immediately popped up, you know, inevitably there's going to be that person. Is it the traditional mass or the Novus Ordo mass? It's both. It's both. Easy, easy. Some people get, you know, their their anger up quickly. 
And a few of those people did pop up on Twitter. But the fact is, it's about the Mass. The Mass that Jesus celebrated at the Last Supper was not the Tridentine Mass. There were no fiddleback vestments and incense and uh, all the things that we associate with the beautiful traditional Latin Mass were not present at the first Mass celebrated by Jesus, nor were they present at the Masses celebrated by the Apostles, who were there at the Last Supper, to whom Jesus said, do this in memory of me. So they celebrated Mass too. So you know me, I don't need to go into this. I do love and esteem the traditional Latin Mass, always have, always will. I had a chance to serve it for years as a, an altar boy as a kid. So I love it. My, Nancy and I, we attend the, the parish Mass, which is a new rite of the Mass in our diocese, in our parish, and they don't offer the traditional Mass there, and that's where we go. And we love it, because ultimately the Mass is the Mass is the Mass. So I fully understand if you prefer one or the other. Nancy prefers the the new rite of the Mass. She never had the old Mass when she was a child. And I, I love the, the old Mass, but the Mass is the Mass is the Mass. And you can have an aesthetic preference for one over the other, or a theological preference for one over the other if you prefer the the, the more involved prayers, the more precise theology. Um, that gap has been narrowing, especially with the more recent retranslation of the English uh, rite of the Mass, which took place, what was that, about 10 years ago or so. So that gap was greatly narrowed in terms of um, the accuracy of the translation and the precision of the terms and things. But all that notwithstanding, the fact is the Mass is the Mass is the Mass. And yes, for those who are wondering, um, because it takes up the history of the Mass, naturally it's going to be uh, looking at such things as the evolution of the Mass, the different rites, within the Catholic Church celebrating the Mass. It does, of course, look at the the traditional Latin Mass. How could it not? So the main point here is, if you want to understand the Mass, what it is, what it accomplishes, why we go to Mass, I think you're going to find this book very appealing. It's beautifully illustrated. It's a full color, every page full color. The pictures, the maps, the graphics are just... Remarkable. That's the only word I can think of for it. It's a remarkable thing. And it's uh, not quite out yet, but if you're interested in finding out more about it, you'll see it on my Twitter feed. I also posted it on Facebook. I have two Facebook pages. Don't you know? So you'll find it there if you're interested. And then, of course, if you want to just go straight to the source, the mass, or I'm sorry, massexplained.com. That's the website, massexplained.com. So check it out. And you heard it here first. Again, no benefit to me whatsoever. I just want to make sure that's real clear. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Natalie now in Chicago. Good morning, Natalie. Good morning, Father. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Please note, though, I'm a layman. I'm not a priest, but I am a father. I'm a dad, but not a priest. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, Thanks for the compliment. I had a quick question regarding... um, the IVF topic. Um, I'm a Polish raised Catholic and I have a friend that's going through the procedure of uh, IVF in order to have children. And I just have a hard time on how can I really be happy for her? And it's really difficult because we are very close. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to ask you personally, um, I don't know how to be happy for her. I don't know that you need to be happy for her. 
first of all, yeah. you're not obliged to be happy for her doing something that's seriously sinful. You may be in a good position if she's ignorant of why it's sinful. Many people are. You may be in a good position to try to evangelize her a little bit and help her see that this is not something she should be doing. I mean, I understand, I think, the struggle in the sense that you're delighted that a baby is on the way, but you're not delighted, quite the opposite, in fact, as to how the baby is conceived. Has she already, has, are there any fertilized em, uh, ova now? Are there any embryos on ice waiting uh, to be implanted? She, she has take, yeah, she has taken some out already. What does that mean, yeah. taking some out? Um, they... They take out some uh, eggs out in order to to freeze them. Okay, and then they and then they implant them. Has she had any of those eggs fertilized yet? No, not yet. Okay, so there's a little window here, and I would encourage you. I mean, pray on this and think about how best to go about it. But you're in a position where maybe you can speak to her and tell her this is really not something you should do. And if you wanted some backup in the last few days, I talked a lot about this at, le- at great length. I explained what are the serious moral problems with IVF. And all you'd have to do, Natalie, is go to relevantradio.com slash Patrick, and you can find them. Just put that in the search bar, put IVF in the search bar. And you can sample from the different comments along the way that I made and then maybe send that to her and say, did you yeah. know this? Did you know? Is she Catholic by chance? Uh, no, she is not. Um, okay. She had a tragedy happen. Um, we were pregnant together, <clears throat> and she miscarried along the mm-hmm. same way. We were a week apart, mm-hmm. and it that was really um, devastating, yeah. So, um, and then after that, she had more complications, so they decided to do IVF. Um, I tried persuading her through a lot of prayer, Um I would love to, I wanted to have her even pray the rosary, but since she's mm-hmm. not Catholic, she, she, she wouldn't do that. Think about maybe sharing some of the audio from this program with her. Who knows what kind of effect that might have. I realize now that you've said it that she's not a Catholic, so that's one aspect that will have less impact for her because the Catholic Church is saying this. It may not matter to her. But knowing that the embryos that are not chosen are going to die or they're going to be cryogenically frozen and on ice indefinitely, that's a terrible thing to allow your children to go through. And remind her, these are your children. These are your sons and daughters. Do you really want a son or a daughter or sons and daughters, you know, locked away on ice in a laboratory for years and years and years and years? Does that really, is that really something you want on your conscience? Or the alternative is, and this happens more often, because, I mean, it costs money to have these embryos frozen. They're not, these, these fertility clinics are not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. They're in it to make money. So they will charge a pretty penny to have these embryos on ice indefinitely. The alternative, if you don't want to spend that amount of money, is that they get washed down the drain. They get thrown out in the dumpster. They call it uh, different terms, reduction, the reducing the number of embryos is one euphemism for killing them, uh, destroying them, discarding them. There are different words that are used, but ultimately it's the loss of innocent human life. Her sons and daughters are going to be chucked into the, into the garbage disposal or chucked into the, to the dumpster out back. 
does she really want to have to live with that? Because that's what's going to happen if they're not cryogenically preserved. So either way, it's a terrible scenario. But as I say, if you're feeling at a loss for words, I can do the talking for you. And you can go to relevantradio.com slash Patrick and type in IVF and you'll find the recent programs within the last few days and uh, perhaps text that to her. Just say, here's a guy with a perspective on this. You might want to take a listen, see what you think. But as to your original question, Natalie, you, you don't have to feel happy for her. I think it's a natural instinct to want to feel happy when a, a woman is pregnant. But, you know, you wouldn't feel happy if she were a married woman and pregnant by a man who's not her husband. That's not something is, to be happy a, about. Is it a sin? Is it a sin if I, if she does end up being pregnant and I'm happy for her? That's what I have a little bit of a difficulty with. Well, it's not a sin for you, but I understand the, I understand how you're pulled in two different directions. If you know that in a, that um, not NFP that IVF is morally wrong, you're not happy about that. You're happy that there's a baby on the way. And that's understandable. And you can be happy about the baby on the way and at the same time deplore the manner in which the baby was conceived. But what I'm saying is you're not obligated to feel happy for her. You don't have to struggle with this. You could say, you know, I'm really unhappy for you. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm unhappy that you did something that now either will kill innocent human beings or put them on ice indefinitely, that makes me very unhappy. And I'm unhappy for you also because ultimately you're the one who has to live with this on your conscience. So please don't go through with this. If you have time to talk to her beforehand, please don't go through with this. I know you want a child. Pray to God. Ask him to bless you with a child. If you don't believe in God, ask him, Lord, if you're really there, would you bless us with a child and see what happens? Well, I hope that's helpful, Natalie. Thank you. Uh, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Gabby. You know what, Gabby, we're going to wait on your call for just a minute. First, we'll go to Margaret in Wausau, Wisconsin. Good morning, Margaret. Morning. Hi there. How old are you, Margaret? I'm good. Good. And how old are you? 12. Okay, great. What's your question for me? Um... I'm homeschooled, but I also do a Christian virtual school, and I've been having conversation with a student. We started by discussing once saved, always saved. Okay. His most recent email has been about salvation. He said, Pastor proved that you don't need confession. His youth pastor said, if a child at a pool disobeys their mother and goes into the deep end, and starts to drown, the lifeguard would not make him apologize before saving him. So God does not need, does not make us apologize before he saves us. How do I refute this? Hmm, that's an interesting analogy. Uh, And I agree that the lifeguard would not ask the child, or whoever it is is drowning, to apologize before he saves him. But this is a different thing, and we can look to what Jesus has to say on the topic. So why don't we focus on this excuse me this particular topic because um, you gave me a few different ones but what if we just what if we just deal with this one would that work for you Yes okay do you have a pen handy you can jot down some Bible verses Hello 
Are you there? Hi. You ready? Hi. Am I misunderstanding her, Cyrus? What is she saying? I'm not sure. I, I think she was reading, and maybe she has mom whispering in her ear. Uh, I'm, I, that's okay. a guess. Okay. Well, how about this? Because maybe there's a phone issue, because I'm not hearing Margaret clearly or at all. Why don't we do this, Margaret? Hold the phone. We're going to take a break, and I'll have young Thomas pick up and see if there is a phone issue. We'll sort that out. And when we come back from the break, I'll come right back to you, and I'll answer that question about... How do we explain if the lifeguard is going to dive in the water and save somebody who's drowning? He's not going to ask for his apology before he saves him. Then why do we have to repent or, as you put it, apologize to God before he saves us? That's a good question. And I'll share my answer to that on the other side. Big time gratitude to Charity Mobile for sponsoring the Patrick Madrid Show. They're a pro-life cell phone company with nationwide coverage and no contracts. You can choose from the latest phones or bring your own. New customers can mention Patrick for a free phone or another offer. Info at CharityMobile.com. One, two, tres, cuatro. Keeping it relevant. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Beep, 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 Oh, man, that guy. That's the gift that keeps on giving. All right, let's get back to the phones. I was speaking with Margaret in Wausau, Wisconsin. Margaret, I think we got the phone line squared away. And so just to recap, you had asked me about somebody who sent you some challenges about different things, one of which was he said, if a lifeguard is going to jump in the water to save somebody, he doesn't ask that drowning person's permission, or he doesn't ask that drowning person to apologize before he will save him. Therefore, why would you think that Jesus requires you to be repentant before he will save you? Do I have the question right? Yes. Okay, good. So I would respond with some statements of Jesus, and one really good one is in Luke chapter 13. And I'll start reading. It's in verse 1. So write down Luke 13, and you want to read verses 1 through 5. Okay? You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. There were some present at that very time who told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered thus? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, let's pause there for a minute. He says to the people who are following him and listening to him, he says, you have to repent of your sins, because the question was, did those Galileans who were put to death by Pontius Pilate, was this because of their sins? Is that why this terrible death, and after they were dead, he mingled their blood uh, with their sacrifices that they had brought to the temple, thus profaning them. So Jesus is saying here, do you think that's because their sins that this happened to them? And he said, do you think they were more sinful than other people? He said, no, unless you repent of your sins, 
you will all likewise perish. Now, by perish, what he means is that you will go to hell. Ultimately, all of us have to die at some point, but he's not referring to that. He's referring to the second death of being separated from God in hell. Okay, so we'll stop there. Do you see that point? Do you see what he's saying there? Yes. Okay, then he says in the next few verses, he says, or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? And it's a, it's a rhetorical question. The answer to his question is no, they were not worse than other people who lived in Jerusalem. And so he says it again. He says, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then immediately after this, he gives a parable to try to help the people understand this in a symbolic way. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, lo, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, let it alone, sir, this year also. I will till about it and put on manure. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So his his um, manager, the man, the man who was managing the vines and the trees and all that, he says, in other words, give it a little more time. Do you mind if we just give it another year? We'll see if some good fruit comes from it. And if it doesn't, then cut it down. So that's an analogy about losing your salvation. In other words, Jesus says this fruit, or this tree rather, which is you and me, all of us, this tree has to bear good fruit. And if the tree does not bear good fruit, we'll cut the tree down because it's taken up space. And we could put another tree here that will bear good fruit. Why are we watering and tending to this tree when it's not doing us any good? So it's all an analogy. It's all kind of a symbol of the person who, by repenting of his sins, bears good fruit. He is he or she is the one who bears good fruit. So all of this is to say that Jesus clearly says that you won't be saved unless you repent. So that's why his analogy of the lifeguard doesn't work. Because Jesus specifically said, in order to be saved, you must, number one, believe in me, and you have to repent. And since Jesus is God, and he's the one who makes the rules, then we have to follow them. So you, as a Catholic young woman, can say, well, you know, I go with Jesus on this. Jesus said this, here's where it's said in the, in the gospel, and that's what I believe, and that's why I believe it. And I would think that would be enough. Even though he doesn't agree with you, that's certainly enough for you to establish why you believe what you believe. Does that make sense, Margaret? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I could help, and I appreciate your phone call. Tell your mom thank you for letting you call in today. Uh, let's go now to Gabby, as promised. Uh, Gabby in, where is Gabby? In Missouri. Good morning, Gabby. Hi, Patrick. Hi. Um, I have a, we have a family situation, so okay. I just wanted to get your insight. Um, my question is kind of twofold. Um, I'll give you some background, but the my questions are just like, in this situation, um, what my husband and I have kind of decided, are we, are we being unchristian? And then also just secondly, what would you do in this okay. situation? What's the situation? So, it sounds intriguing. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. I've never heard it called in for on your show before, so that's why I had to ask because okay. I have never heard this this one before. So, um, a couple months ago, we learned that um, my mother in law has been having an affair with um, her daughter's ex boyfriend. So, my sister in law's ex boyfriend. Um, <laughs> You're and, right. I've never had um, a call about that before. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Um, apparently it's kind of been going on for about two and a half years um, to different degrees um, of involvement. But um, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they're still married. My father-in-law has MS and mild dementia. He's in a nursing home here in St. Louis. Um, she's still his main caregiver, though, like outside of the nursing home and as far as decision making and stuff goes. Um, and so he's clueless. Um, uh, and... Um, my sister-in-law, she had been making these accusations. So my, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, they have not been speaking at all for the past, you know, two and a half years, um, because my sister-in-law has been accusing, um, her mom of, of this, um, uh, affair and, um, they're just not speaking because of it. And my mother-in-law has really, um, led us all on to believe, you know, that, that, um, her daughter's accusations are preposterous. So we believed. So she denies the affair with the ex-boyfriend of the daughter. This is all pretty gross, but so she's denying yeah, is. that this is happening. Um, so not anymore because we confronted, my husband confronted her, but um, for the past two and a half years, she has been like letting us believe that it, that the accusations were, um, crazy. Like, um, because my, my, my sister-in-law also has a lot of her own issues. So this is just not surprising for, for her to be making these crazy accusations. Cause she just, she makes stuff up all the time. Um, so we just, we thought, oh, she's, she's just being crazy and that's ridiculous. And our, my mother-in-law completely let us believe that, um, for the past two and a half years. So that being the case, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm afraid we'll run out of time, Gabby. That's the only reason for Mm -hmm. interrupting. But so Mm -hmm. she's, she was denying it, but now she's admitting to it. Yes. But so my question is she watches our kids every other week. She watches um, our two littlest ones. um, And so we've said that we are not comfortable with her continuing to watch them for the time being because she has been confronted and she's, she's not, um, uh, she, remorseful. She doesn't see why we have a problem with it. Um, <laughs> because it's know, crazy and gross. They're married. And yeah. yeah. So we want to yeah, make sure and, that we're not being unchristian by saying we are, we are not comfortable with you coming over and watching the kids. Um, you know, once every other week, like we have been doing for a while. No, I don't think that's unchristian at all. You're just being a good, attentive mother and father in the case of your husband. She's clearly out of control in her personal life. Yes. She's doing something that's not only seriously immoral. I mean, is she, does she purport to be Catholic? No, um, my uh, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, they're Protestant, although I'm not really sure how much she really, um, what her faith is like anymore. Yeah, apparently there's not a whole lot there, just judging mm-hmm. from externals. So, yeah, I mean, she's doing something that is clearly deeply immoral it's aggravated by the fact that this is her daughter's ex-boyfriend 
So it's quasi-incestuous. I mean, it's not technically incestuous because there, there was no marriage there, but it's kind of quasi um, right next door to incestuous. It is a terrible um, moral choice of hers. And if she's making bad decisions at that level of magnitude, what other bad decisions might she be making? I mean, my concern, if I were you and your husband, maybe you've already thought of this, is when you're away and she's watching your children, is the boyfriend coming over and you know what happening in your home? I mean, that's a distinct possibility. Mm -hmm. And if she denied all this other stuff and now finally admits to it, she might deny that, but maybe that's going on too. So yeah, I don't think there's any question but that you need to do the right thing and say, we, we can't have you around our kids because your life is out of control. And you're making ridiculously bad decisions that are, are immoral and possibly dangerous, and we can't have that near our kids. Have a nice life. I mean, it, it comes yeah, a time when you have to say that. Her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that, and that's that's how we feel. But it's just hard because we, you know, the kids are going to start asking questions too, and why they haven't seen her, and they love her so much, you know. Um, so it's just going to be hard to to explain that to them, or I don't know how to explain that to them. Yeah, I understand. Maybe I would separate two separate things here. I wouldn't close off any possibility that your children can see their grandmother because, I mean, grandparents have a right to know their grandchildren. She has that right, even though Mm -hmm. she's making some serious mistakes. She she has a right to know her grandchildren, and their grandchildren, your children have a right to know their grandparents. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't advocate for cutting off all contact, but I would say you can't watch our kids anymore. Actions have mm-hmm. consequences. Your actions are out of control. They're unacceptable. We don't want that around our kids. So sure, we'll we'll see you when we see you. And you'll see the grandkids from time to time or when we visit or whatever. But you're not going to babysit them because of what's going on. That's how I would play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's pretty much how we feel too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I could validate your instincts. I would agree. I mean, your kids are your kids and you can't sacrifice them and their innocence for the sake of, you know, what your mother-in-law might think of you. It's probably harder on your husband than it is on you because it's his own mother. But the mm-hmm. two of you are, are partners in this. So I, I concur with what you're telling me. That's what I would do. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Interesting. There's no lack of interesting topics that come up on this program. Isn't that right, Cyrus? That's as a, evidence. That was a new one. <laughs> That's, we've had a couple new ones today. Uh, let's see. I think we've got time. Let's go to Elvia in San Antonio. Good morning, Elvia. Yes. Hi, Patrick. I'm calling on behalf of my kids. We're listening to the Saints podcast okay. on our way to school. And so this week is uh, St. Bernadette. So um, today's episode, Bernadette could not see, um, could not see, Mm-hmm. I'm listening. Oh, oh she, 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 she dropped. dropped. <laughs> Maybe she was having a cell phone issue. All right. Well, let's just call or let's go to another call. Let's go to Ray in San Antonio. Hi, Ray. Hey, good morning, Patrick. Yes, sir. Good morning. Did I drop you? Nope. Right, I'm right there. here. Okay. Sorry about that. Standing by. Uh, uh, Patrick, so I'm um, calling about um, a follow-up. Back in August, a friend of mine had called in... Um, my best friend's wife, my, well, my best friend as well, uh, had called in uh, regarding me. 
uh, about me being um, kind of an active member of my parish and my church, um, former Grand Knight or past Grand Knight, and uh, basically living in a life of sin myself. Um, okay. I was married through the church uh, and are currently working through the annulment. But they had tried to talk to me about this and how my life was bringing scandal. Um, and just kind of just to catch you up and just to where we're at now, um, mm-hmm. it finally, finally sunk in me what I was doing. Um, it took them a while to get to me because, in, in all fairness, they were be- being gentle around the subject and around the topic. And it was never, hey, man, you're living in a life of sin, regardless if you go to confession, because you're still married and you can't have a girlfriend. It's just that easy. Right. Well, those words were never said, so it was always just danced around. So when she called in, you recommended um, Hell is... Um, the, the book of hell, uh, right. or the, the dogma of hell. And yes, I had read then Patrick, I, I'm a cradle Catholic and I'm a devout Catholic and I'm a practicing Catholic. Ray, do me a favor. What you're saying is important. And I don't really know where you're going with this, but I want to hear it. And we are at a break time now. So do you mind holding and I'll come right back to you on the other side of this timeout? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you, Ray. And maybe you can give for those who will be joining in, tuning in at the top of the hour, maybe you can give just a quick recap so everybody's on the same page. And I'll be right back to you right after this timeout. 